This is the UK House Builder and Developer from Good to Great series with Gerard Ball, Managing Director of Human Capital Group, helping you build your UK house building teams and businesses fast. We find the top 15% of talent in the market by harnessing the power of big data, 24-7, 365 digital automation platforms and inbound strategies. Leveraged by 20 years successful mid to senior level recruitment experience. In this episode, Gerard Ball is joined by the founder and CEO of Joseph Homes, Joseph Raja, who set up his company to disrupt the property market with its live well principles of wanting to add value to people's lives. As an entrepreneur, Joseph has carved out a niche in the London property scene and through his company is passionate about his mission to improve the well-being of his team, his customers, neighbourhoods and the planet. Here, Joseph explains his move into residential property, navigating economic and political interventions, why he focused on his live well, work well vision and the art of moving from founder to CEO in his fast growing, diverse business, now creating a £1 billion pipeline of healthier residential led mixed use schemes. The UK House Builder Good to Great podcast series is very happy to have Joseph Raja, CEO of Joseph Holmes on the show. Good to be here. Thank you. You've got a, a fascinating background of, and have built a, a very well-recognised brand within London, and it's really an emerging brand mm-hmm. as well. I hope we have time to cover it all. <laughs> but um, let's jump straight in. First of all, you know, how did you come into residential development? Uh, we'll start with why, actually. So, so for, for me, it's, it was a, as a business, I'd like to do things that add value to people's lives. And I think residential property is quite important to people's lives. And, and so that's where I, where, mm. I, where I fell into. But um, how? I was with a friend in my mid-20s. We were just uh, buying an auction and single homes and uh, refurbishing them and adding value to them and putting them back out in the market. It was a time of the industry where you could get mortgages at like 95%. So the capital, yeah, you didn't need much and you could go in and, and, and do a really good job and, and, and get, make some good money. That then obviously all changed in 2008. We hit a recession and I saw another opportunity to um, capitalize on the fact that the banks weren't lending. Right. Property prices were coming down, land was coming down, and we sought refuge in the housing associations. Mm. And so what we did was we would option up land at that time. Actually, now it was on my own. Uh, option up land at that time and then um, get planning, get housing associations to acquire the land. And then I'd package it up with a contractor and they would develop it together right. and I'd get margins along the way. Mm. Um, it was a pretty good return and also a pretty good feel-good fact that you were building predominantly social housing at the time, right. um, which was much needed. It's much needed today as well. Okay, where did you learn those skills? Did you, did you work for somebody prior or is it all self-taught? So I've never actually had a proper job. <laughs> so, yes. That's amazing. Yeah, yeah, I'm completely unemployable. <laughs> um, but what, uh, what I've done is I've come from an entrepreneurial family, uh, you know, in a, in a different scale, but you know, uh, my mother was a driving instructor, had a really good, um, had a, created a really good niche for herself in, in, in driving instruction by teaching 
Asian women how to drive who couldn't speak you know, English <laughs> at the time. And she created a brilliant niche. We had like six months to a year's waiting list. And oh. it's a really great thing that of her empowering women to to drive would otherwise have to wait for their husbands to get home to drive them somewhere. You mm. know, so it was a really inspiring thing, business that she had. Father again in education had ended up with his own small school in South London, right. um, teaching business and computing to um, immigrants to to allow them to create businesses themselves. And so I've always been involved in that type of environment. And so straight out of school, I was um, I was camera first businesses and um, doing all kinds of things, failing mostly, but, oh. but enjoying it wholeheartedly. And then after law school, I had a choice of either going to work for a big city law firm, mm. which I did try for a, a couple of months um, <laughs> and absolutely hated it, or do what I was doing at the time, which was... Uh, nightclub promotion. So I had a nightclub promotion company across London and that grew to actually something quite significant where we were promoting clubs over here and in the States. Um, And then ended up selling that company. It was an amazing time, early 20s. Mm. It was the right time to do it. It's a young man's game, couldn't do it now. (laughs) All these things just just taught me how to either run businesses, not do certain things, do certain things better, etc. Travelled around for a bit and then came back to London and wanted to do something that really genuinely adds value to people's lives. And I thought residential property would be with that thing, people's home, mm. uh, partner with a friend of mine. And we did all the work ourselves to begin with. We did everything except for the right. electrics. Right. <laughs> so plumbing, the tiling. I'm actually, a, in previous life, I think I was a tiler. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> I'm, just, it's, I'm absolutely, I'm an amazing tiler. But <laughs> yeah, put the flooring together, kitchens and everything. And with this book called The Reader's Digest, How to Absolutely Do Every, Anything, right? And right. we use that and we use that to develop these properties. And it was good because we cut our teeth and just knew exactly how to do things, how much things cost and where to, mm. you know, where to buy them. And yeah, effectively, I was a developer and uh, I was one of the trades at the same time. And then that just grew into just learning learning the roots. My legal background enabled me to start doing things a bit more sophisticated after 2008 and doing land deals and and deals with housing associations. So that's how I got into it. So look, I'm always curious when when somebody starts a a new build development company, did you have a vision for what it was going to look like or was it fly by the seat of your pants like a lot of the guys which I've I've spoken to have been or or was was it much more structured? It was a bit of both. It was a bit of both. So what I learned from the previous businesses is that without the vision yeah. and without the focus on the vision, you're pretty much going to fail. So vision in terms of what the business was going to look like in five years' time, 10 years' time, what the business was going to look like when I leave the business and mm-hmm. get someone else to replace me, that was all mapped out for me right, right at the beginning. But the route to getting there was right. definitely fly by the seat of my pants. <laughs> and uh, it was definitely just, you know, the, problem, the major problem that we've been having with regards to getting, fulfilling the ambitions of the company mm-hmm. is the, the economic and political intervention of the last 10 years. It's right. been, so we've had to pivot a few times in order to navigate that. So initially just wanted to get into residential and do what we were doing in terms of single homes. But then 2008 happened, pivoted to affordable housing because they were developing. Stamp duty happened in, oh, sorry, the Cameron got it in 2010, reduced the amount of grant, had to pivot away from social housing into private residential. Stamp duty changed in, in, in there, had to pivot away from central London to greater London. Referendums happen, this happens. So it's, it's just a constant, constant navigation that we've had to just be able to predict to some certain degree and prepare for the worst and hope for the best. So today, Joseph Holmes, what, what does the company look like today in, in terms of the, the market that you're aiming at, the mm. type of geography and the, the kind of the type of developments which okay. you're building? So historically, we've been London focused and we're still that way. And mm-hmm. so the majority of what we do is in London. Okay. Uh, we have, uh, we're, just, we're starting to venture out now into Kent. 
to do a large scheme out there. And what we look to do is to hit the Greater London area with our value-added product, which is Live Well. And we do that at scale. Um, And so our average development um, is, sorry, our range of developments between 100 homes to around three, 400 homes per scheme. So it's, we're starting to scale up there. We're about 40 people now. We have a phenomenal team. There's ex-PLC backgrounds that have come here that have been a bit disenfranchised from where they are mm-hmm. and wanted to sort of come to a company that's got, you know, purposeful property, profit, or profit with purpose. And, and so with our values and, and how we approach design and development and adding value, we uh, think we've carved ourselves a bit of a niche in the, in the London property market. Uh, sorry, what do you mean by profit, uh, profit with purpose? So we have this overriding mission as a company to just improve people's lives. I mean, we think every business in the world ought mm-hmm. to improve people's lives, like make life benefit for everyone. And, mm-hmm. and the way we do that is through our four our live well pillars. Right. And so it's to improve the well-being of our team. Right. That, are, that includes our wider team as well, external contra- uh, uh, suppliers and contractors, our customers, mm-hmm. the neighborhoods that we develop in, and wow. the planet as a whole. We've got a manifesto for each of those things, and we use that manifesto in dis- making decisions about everything that we do. So, for instance, customers, we have their physical and well-being and their mental well-being in mind in everything we do. So we try to reduce the toxicity in the homes, okay. and we do that by the materials that we use and the construction methodology that we use, such as there's no gas in any of our apartments there or houses. There is low to no VOC paint, like um, toxic paints. Right. Okay. So, you know, it's, 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 it's quite sad. There's, there's, there's a real problem in the market that no one's talking about, and that's a level of toxicity in people's homes. It's mm. quite dangerous. And so we have an ambition to reduce that toxicity to its possible level, lowest possible level by 2025 across our portfolio. We, again, with the customer, design with their mental mental well-being in mind and so our colors that we use the space standards the light the size of the windows the orientation everything is designed with the well-being in mind and so that's our manifesto for them and we um hope to be able to sounds a bit utopic but change change the industry for the better in terms of the kind of de- quality of delivery of product that they that the wider industry especially the, the nationals are, are are doing and we hope that's the case okay and the, the live live well work well that extends beyond just your home building, though. That's also for the guys who work for the team, for the yeah, business so, and for yeah. your external contract or the contractors as well. Absolutely. Well. So we go to the nth degree here. So to try to get the well-being, happy people build happy homes for us. And so what we want to do is just try to get our team as productive as, as humanly possible and convert stress into passion. Mm-hmm. And the way that we do that is by offering purpose and balance in their, in their life. Yeah. We, to the extent that we've got on-site masseuses in our construction sites, and we've, <laughs> we've bespoke to our own uh, construction, uh, massage, sorry, for the construction workers, right. focusing on neck and wrists and things like that, the things that really affect them. And if you've seen a increasing productivity um, on sites. We started doing that over a year ago. We've got that in-house. We have nutritional advice. We've got financial doctors coming in to help construction workers. Mental well-being on sites is really important. The biggest killer of construction workers um, in this country is not on-site, it's off-site via suicide. And so we really want to focus in on that and find out what we can do for the better there. And that's not just lip service, because I, I, you yeah. know, I, I, I read the industry news and everything, and I see yeah. the companies we're doing this, uh, you know, uh, mental health week and all of that. This yeah. is actually being put into place. Where yeah. does that, um, where does the kind of the, the, the live well, work well, where, where does the ethos come from? You know, is that from your upbringing or? Yeah. 
To be honest, it just makes sense. <laughs> it just, right. it makes, it's, uh, it's, it's not, for where we look at it, it's not altruistic. It's profitable. It's usually profitable to do this. It's, um, it makes sense as a business to add value wherever you can and every, every point, every touch point, mm. whether it's your team, customers, neighborhoods or planet. It doesn't make sense for a business to pollute the planet long term. It doesn't make sense to treat your employees long term. I think where it comes from is a long-term view. It's a long-term yeah. view in everything that we do. And if you are thinking long-term, then it doesn't make sense logically to do anything different. Out of interest, is the demand, yeah, from the consumer, like, you know, I'm just thinking about most of the consumers I know who are, bu- who are buying houses. Yeah. The vast majority are possibly, and I think probably not thinking about the environment no. when they're building houses. Is, no. is that something that you're that you are, you're actively promoting or, or, or when a client comes around to, to look at house goes, oh, bloody hell, I, I didn't think about X, Y, and Z. Yeah, it's uh, a good question. So at the moment, what we're seeing is that all things being equal, people are going to buy a healthier home for themselves on the planet. And so the point is all things being equal. Price needs to be equal. Quality needs to be equal. For us, our price is equal and our quality is superior to what we do in the local area compared to our, to our, to our competitors. And so, yes, we're getting a good response to what we're doing, but they don't actively go out and look for an environmentally friendly <laughs> apartment or, a, or even one with low toxicity. No one really knows about the fact that they've got uh, high levels of toxins in their home. So it's an education piece for us. Okay. And is that an education piece then for the, the industry as a whole and for the, the governing bodies, the HBF, et cetera? Absolutely. And we are having conversations with, with them um, mm. at the moment. And, you know, it's priorities. At the moment, the government are focused on the environment, mm. which is incredibly important with their future home standard, which we wholeheartedly agree with. And if we think they could do more, we're actually going to be ahead of, of their standards by 2025. But toxicity in the home is something that we're trying to promote uh, with government as well and have, have them do something about it in terms of uh, building regulations. Looking at kind of where you're at today from where you began the, be- the business, um, what have been the biggest obstacles in achieving the success? <sighs> God, where do I start? You did, you, you did, <laughs> yeah. you did list off a load of bits yeah, to yeah. with, but... I mean, but every time there's an obstacle, every time there was the challenge that with the economic and political interventions of the government mm. over the last 10 years, it's just the, the, piv- the constant pivoting is a distraction from us adding value where we think we can. Right. And so for us, we've always had an opportunity from 2008 when there was a recession to now, there's always an opportunity that we can we'll find as a result of these interventions. But that's pretty much been the major thing. And then all the growing pains from going from going from doing single homes to yeah. now a pipeline of over two thousand homes and you know over a billion pound pipeline now, you know as a CEO, mm. I've been the biggest obstacle probably <laughs> just learning how to be one, you know, yeah. uh, of a company like of that scale from a founder to a CEO, yeah. and so I've been learning that which has been which has been good. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So what have been looking at you as an individual? What yeah. what what have been the sticking points that you? Just managing people right. and understanding the, their drivers and mm. being able to understand that. Well, firstly, not everyone needs to be an, uh, a reflection of me. Yeah, <laughs> you know, right. yeah, yeah. In, a, in a team, you've got defenders and strikers and midfield players, yeah. and, and you need to have a combination of those things. And that's been a learning curve for me because trying to just I just recruiting constant like, people who have got ultimate drive and yeah. alphas and whatnot, and it's, it's toxic to an environment for yeah. that. You know, so that that has been a learning curve for me to get the right teams in place. For me, in my impatience. So as a founder, you're pretty, you've got to be this impatient entrepreneur, I suppose, in order to get 
people motivated and on board and have the train moving pretty quickly. Yeah. But as a CEO, you've got to find yourself much more patient and understand that things take time. And, <laughs> uh, and so just balancing that. I have a business partner, by the way, which I haven't mentioned yet, Paul DePino, who I met in 2011. And we joined forces then. He came on board as a partner. And he's our chief operating officer. And we are a good combination uh, where he just, there's nothing more, I don't, nothing more sexy to him than a system that works. <laughs> for me, there's nothing more sexy to me than a land deal that works. So, so for us, it's, it's, it's a good combination and we, and we complement each other. Moving forward and, and looking at the next evolution in, in the development of Joseph Holmes, yeah. where are you, you going to be focusing the business and what does the vision for the future look like? Well, our, our focus is always on these, on these pillars that we talked about, you know, the well-being for the customer, the team, the neighbourhood and the planet. And so for us, it's using technology to try to achieve those, achieve those um, ambitions. In terms of portfolio, we are, we are now, as I mentioned, mm. uh, a billion pound portfolio, and we're probably going to increase that by another factor in 2020, 2021. We right. think there's a great window of opportunity now for land. We've, we've been doing mm. it for the last 18 months quite extensively, and we're going to continue in, in 2020. We want to be the partner of choice for local authorities and for uh, landowners. So okay. partnerships are big, a big word that echoes around the halls here, just trying to ensure that we become that attractive partner to those people. And also we have historically built everything ourselves. So we, are, we, we contract ourselves we, through construction management teams right. that we've got. Um, and due to the scale of what we're doing, we're now looking to uh, partner with some some uh, tier one, tier two main contractors right, okay. um, to deliver some of our portfolio. Um, and so, again, we want to work in a partnership environment there. We are not one to continually tender for every single thing each to each time. We want to create partnerships that we can grow with. Okay. Is the main contractor to supplement the, the existing team? Yeah, because we're still going to be developing some ourselves with our existing team. Right. But the, the um, sites where we've got an excess of maybe 200 homes, we're going to be um, developing with uh, main contractors. And for you to achieve that success, what, what do you feel the biggest, what are the obstacles that you're looking out for on the horizon? And, oh, and, yeah. and as a business, are you always kind of looking forward and th- thinking, if that happens, we will do X, Y, and Z. And if yeah. it doesn't happen, we'll do A, B, and C. Yeah, absolutely. It's <laughs> a good question. So we don't have a crystal ball, but yeah. what we do, we, we have lessons from the past. Mm. So just looking at how we've needed to pivot and the um, times we've become stuck um, in, in uh, property in, in London, we've realised that we need to diversify the portfolio. Right. Okay. So 50% of what we're doing going forward is going to be residential-led, and 50% of what we're doing going forward is going to be what we call alternatives. So at the moment, we're increasing our student portfolio. Uh, we're doing our first hotel scheme uh, oh, now. Right. Okay. We have our office scheme that we are planning for, and we actually have also, um, quite uniquely, beds above sheds as well. So we're getting uh, we're buying industrial and then replacing the industrial and creating a residential apartments above it. So creating that unique partnership between industrial and, and uh, beds is not without his challenges but they do well in Europe and we're learning from them and bringing that some of that skill set over here uh, to do that and this is a response to Sadiq Khan's uh, protection over industrial in London that we feel that we have the opportunity to be able to deliver quality homes for London without um, removing industrial uh, requirements but fundamentally what we do is just stick to the fundamentals so good quality homes near good amenity good transport links with the live well design at a good price point that Londoners can afford we should be able to weather the storms ahead. Let's just look um, 
couple of other, a few other questions just to, to, to finish with. I don't know if you've seen the industry change much since you, since you came, come into it, but looking at 15 years into the future, what, what do you think the new build residential development industry will look like? I think it will be uh, 15 years. I think a lot of it will be factory-based. So, right. you know, what people are doing at the moment, people like the partnerships that Urban Splash have and what LNG right. are doing and, and others are there. I think there's a lot of work to be done there. We've been looking at it for about three years now. Mm. We still haven't been able to make it work effectively on the kind of things that we do. And that's due to the nature of the bespoke nature of what we do. Right. Uh, okay. and so we don't, we try to minimize the standardization um, in terms of what you can see. Mm. Um, so therefore factory development doesn't quite work for us at the moment mm. uh, but but offsite manufacturer yeah i think that is going to be the predominant uh, method of methodology of, of development it makes complete sense i think there's going to be some type of hybrid between that and what we do what we do today there are some really innovative companies out there we travel or Paul travels the world figuring out the oh, stuff. Right. Yeah, because yeah. he's our chief innovation officer as well. So he's oh, right. constantly looking at new ways to do things and challenging the way this this industry works and operates because it's quite an archaic industry. We were building the same way we've been building for hundreds of years. Yeah, yeah. And so that has to change. It's a great word, great industry to, to disrupt. I think in terms of anything else, I don't know. I think it's about, it's about sticking to fundamentals and doing what you've been doing for what we have been doing, which is building good quality homes for people that can afford them. And then just, just finally, imagine we had a time machine, or mm-hmm. you had a time machine, more importantly, mm-hmm. and you could go back in time mm. to when Joseph Holmes was first launching. Mm. Yeah. What would be the, the one piece of advice or a couple of pieces of advice that you would give yourself? Patient. Be patient. Be patient. Yes. <laughs> Really understand what you can do in 10 years rather than what you want to do in one year, you know, and and plan accordingly for that. I think that would have probably eased a lot of problems. Tough yeah. Being a, yeah. Tough being an entrepreneur. Yeah, exactly. You so want be, it now. Be born now, <laughs> yesterday, everything. Yeah, I am, I am Mr. Yesterday in this office. So, yeah. Um, so, that. I think capitalization earlier. So, for instance, so I mentioned that our live well pillars. Mm. That's very important to us to the point that we've changed our articles of association to address these uh, pillars and, and prescribe for this which means that we are not only motivated by what historically has been shareholder supremacy and profit in mm-hmm. this company but also the well-being of of these four pillars which has an effect on the kind of investment that you can get if you haven't got the investors at the top of the tree in terms of your priority. Right. So for us, we've had to fund a lot of the things ourselves and grow organically like that. Right. So at the beginning, what, uh, what I'd have probably done is gone out and found like an impact fund or something that is probably aligned with our, yeah. with our values that will probably be able to fund us a lot sooner. I think it's good that we haven't because so far, because we have, we're fully privately owned right. and we can just dictate what, as and when yeah. we want to do something or not do something. Yeah. I think those two are the main things, really. Joseph, thank you very much for your time and a real pleasure speaking with you. Thank you for having me. It's been really good. Thank you. Discover how to build your UK house builder business and attract the top 15% of leadership talent using one-to-many platforms, automation, and 24-7, 365 proven digital strategies before your competition. Be sure to subscribe for more podcasts from the Good to Great series. Featuring leading voices from the UK house building industry, from small to medium businesses to leading PLCs. Don't forget to rate and review so that we can continue to bring you the best content possible. For more information, call 0203 800 1080.
or check out www.hc-group.co.uk and book a client or candidate blueprint strategy session.